Hey, we are going to continue talking about the book of Genesis today. And today we're going to look at chapters 37, 38, and 39. We're going to kind of breeze through 38 pretty quickly. But 37 and 39 talk about a guy who's, uh, we've been introduced to him, but he becomes the central figure now. So we're going to start talking today about Joseph. And we're going to see that Joseph always is rising to the top. He's got God's blessing in his life. And he is always seems to be rising to the top above his circumstances. There's six principles in chapters 37 and 39 that I want us to see. And then at the end of this, I want us to really look at Joseph's life, look through all these things, and, and see some things that I think would really benefit us as people about living our lives. In these kind of narrative forms, it's kind of hard sometimes to see as you go through verse by verse. There's not a lot of, hey, we should do this. Hey, we should live this way. Hey, we should do this. Uh, we're seeing a story, but I think there are certainly some great lessons that we can learn from from it. And so we're going to see here that the first thing that we're going to see in verse 37 is this. Jacob's favoritism sparks Joseph's brother's jealousy. By the way, if you want to follow along on the app, the KC Fog app, there's a place in there where it says Sunday mornings and there's a sermon notes and you can actually fill those in, email them to yourself and you can hang on to these, look at them later if you want to. So that's available to you. Uh, Jacob's favoritism sparks Joseph's brothers' jealousy. As we've talked about this family, uh, man, they've been dysfunctional for several generations now. There's been a lot of problems with them. We see them as these great pillars of the faith, uh, but we also see them uh, as humans with a lot of problems, uh, much like us. And so we see that Jacob has been favoriting uh, his son Joseph, and it caused a lot of jealousy with his brothers. Let's look at uh, chapter 37, verses 2 through 4. Here's what it says. These are the generations of Jacob. By the way, sometimes they'll call him Israel because his name was changed to Israel. So Jacob and Israel are the same guy. Okay, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, again, in a narrative like this, sometimes uh, we see these uh, points that they're making and, and we kind of get some wrong ideas because we think that they're in a consecutive order. In other words, we see here that Joseph uh, is a 17-year-old boy. Well, well, first of all, uh, in that day and age, 17 years old was a grown man. Many people at 17 have already married, already having children. Uh, it's not like in our day and age when they're still a teenager, they're still living with their parents and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, Joseph was kind of a grown man even at 17, and he was uh, uh, given this responsibility uh, to pasture the flocks with his half-brothers. Now, uh, specifically it talks about these two uh, wives of Jacob because these were not his two actual wives but the two servants of their wives uh, who gave him children. Uh, and so he's out there with them. So when we see here that Joseph was, uh, gave a bad report of his brothers uh, and then he got a, a coat after that, it looks like or may seem like uh, that Joseph is kind of a little snot-nosed brat tattling on his brothers because he brings a bad report to his father. Uh, but that's probably not likely the case. Uh, like, for instance, if you tell somebody about the, 
going to the zoo, you're not going to say, well, first, we walked in the front gate, and then we went over and saw the polar bears, and then next to that were the giraffes, and then next to that, you're just going to say, hey, we saw bears, we saw giraffes, and so they might not be in the exact order. So when we see these narratives, these things may not be in some kind of consecutive order. They may be kind of all happening at the same time. Well, what's interesting about this coat uh, is that it's not necessarily uh, what we think of when we think of uh, the coat of many colors. Um, and he doesn't give his dad a bad report because he's a brat tattling on his brothers. The reality is this coat uh, has a certain amount of responsibility and authority connected to it. He was given this coat by his father because he was the favorite. That was clear. In fact, he was the uh, 11th out of the 12 in birth order. But he was still his father's favorite because he was born from uh, the wife that he wanted, if you remember. And if you don't remember, you can read back any of the sermons on fogkc.com. You can go there and look at any of the previous sermons. But if you remember, uh, Jacob had one wife that he wanted, and then her sister that he didn't really want, but he got her anyway. And then two of their uh, servants, each of them had a servant that gave him children also. Um, But he gave this bad report because it was actually his responsibility to do it. Uh, the coat of many colors, really, it's, it's really hard in the Hebrew to understand what this exactly means, uh, but, it, but it does mean, or the, the uh, inclination is that it has long sleeves instead of short sleeves, and it was more about having that responsibility and authority than anything else. In other words, it was almost like, hey, hey he's, a, he's a white-collar worker. His brothers are, are, are blue-collar guys, and they are the guys who do the work, and, and Joseph is the supervisor. He, he's the guy standing around, not doing a lot of work, but, but organizing and, and leading his brothers and the one who gives reports to his father about how things are going. All right, So it's probably not really an accurate interpretation to view uh, Joseph quite you know, like this. You know, we have this picture in our mind that it's this you know, glorious, wonderful, beautiful coat of many colors and it's, you know, it's like that. And that's, that's Donny Osmond there if you can. And, 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 but uh, I never thought I'd show a picture of Donny Osmond in a sermon in my whole life. But what we do know about Jacob is that he played favorites in a way that was obvious to his other sons. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen this happen. Uh, It's obvious to everyone around that Joseph is Jacob's favorite. Now, folks, let me just say something to you. If you have a favorite, don't let them know. That's That's just bad, okay? First of all, you shouldn't have a favorite. You should love all your kids the same. Uh, But if you have a favorite, and I know some of the kids always point to themselves right now, okay? If you have a favorite, um, man, don't make that obvious. Treat your kids the way that they need to be treated in the same manner. It's really a horrible thing to do. Now, I use the words of this point very specifically uh, because uh, Jacob did not cause the other sons to act in jealousy. Think through this with me now. He didn't cause them. He only sparked their feelings. Now, why is that important? They hate their brother already. And they're about to do unspeakable things to him. Those things don't happen because Jacob played favorites. It only contributes uh, to that. It may spark it. It may spark it. But it's not the reason somebody acts uh, with hatred and with jealousy. That, the way that they're going to act here in just a moment... That hatred comes from Joseph's brothers as a result of their jealousy. All of that is squarely on them. They don't get a pass because of their father's bad actions. They don't get a pass because Jacob is playing favorites. 
Folks, we live more and more in a world, uh, meaning the United States, the Western Christian world, we offer excuses about our own sinful behavior because others made us feel a certain way or others made us think a certain way. But listen, everybody owns their own behavior. Everybody owns their own behavior. It doesn't matter how my neighbor acts towards me. It is all my decision on how I respond to that. Now, if he acts like a jerk to me, it's easier for me to be a jerk back. If he's kind to me, it's a little harder to be a jerk. Okay? But just because somebody acts in bad ways toward us, that is not an excuse or a green light for us. Oh, well, because they're a jerk, I can be a jerk too. Because they act sinfully towards me, I can act sinfully towards them too. But we live in a world where, man, that's becoming more and more common, and even amongst Christians. I only did that because they did this. I only, I only did this to this person because they did this first. If they wouldn't have done it, I wouldn't have been forced to act this way. Folks, nobody forces us to do anything. Don't forget my universal rule number one. Can't control anybody on the planet but yourself and barely that. Now, I share that with everybody that I counsel, everybody that I talk to, everybody I give any advice to, because, folks, life is about us doing our thing. Life is about us controlling ourselves, not trying to control everybody around us. I can't make your husband love you more. I can't make your wife stop drinking. I can't make your husband stop abusing you. I can't, I can't make anybody do anything. And by the way, neither can you. What we can do is control how we respond to people, how we act in response to whether they have good or bad uh, you know, actions toward us. And even though even though Jacob did a horrible thing by making it clear that Joseph was his, was his favorite, that was no excuse, no excuse for his brothers, Joseph's brothers, to do what they're going to do to him here in just a few minutes. So we see here that after this, Joseph's God-given dreams cause his brothers to hate him even more. This gives them an excuse to hate him even more. Look at verses 5 through 11. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the, to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, if Joseph can be accused of anything, we're not going to see him having any bad behavior towards anybody in these two chapters. But if he can be accused of anything, it might be that he's just young and a little bit foolish and a little bit naive, all right? He didn't have to tell his family about these dreams, but he did. God has given him these dreams, and, and we're going to see in the next few weeks that Joseph has this kind of God-given gift for dreaming and interpreting dreams, his own dreams and other people's dreams, because we're going to see that these dreams that he's just dreamed are actually going to come true at some point. 
But now his brother's hatred for him has been fueled even more by his dreams. So how do they respond? Uh, uh, Jacob has made him his favorite. Uh, Joseph has now told him of his dreams. How do his brothers respond? Well, they decide to sell him into slavery instead of killing him. But they're going to debate about it before they decide. Look what it says in verses 18 through 36. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So we see here that uh, Joseph's brothers actually debate among themselves whether or not to kill him or whether or not to sell him. It's interesting in the dysfunction of this whole family that all of the brothers that wanted to save his life came from Leah, Jacob's other legitimate wife, and all those that wanted to kill him were those born uh, from the servants, the concubines of Jacob. They were the ones that wanted to kill him. Uh, this family hatred for each other, folks, is, has been passed down. I mean, think about it. Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau. You know, Esau wants to kill Jacob for what he did to him. And now Joseph and his brothers. This, this hatred for brothers, this hatred in your own family has been passed down from generation to generation. And I'm reminded of Exodus 37 where God reveals himself to Moses. And the Bible says this, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
Now listen. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. Folks, we need to remember that while we want to attempt to, and we talk about around here, leaving a good legacy, and I think the older I get, the more that's a concern to me, we can also leave a bad legacy because of our sin. And it visits itself on our children and our children's children to the third and fourth generations. That is nothing to mess with. We see this play out in life all the time. In fact, science is finally catching up with the Bible. Think about that for a minute. Uh, they're making discoveries that it's interesting that, that the uh, 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 things that people deal with, most of them, the majority of people, their parents dealt with the same things. They knew that in Exodus. We see that, that if you look at alcoholics across the board, the majority of alcoholics came from families with alcohol problems. No, not all of them. Okay? We, we certainly have the choice to uh, start new sinning in our legacy. But the reality is, uh, the things that your parents struggled with in their lives are probably the things that you struggle with. If your mom was an incredible worrier, that might be where you got it. And by the way, worry is just a lack of faith in God. If your father has a, a, a terrible tongue and, and you realize you have a terrible tongue, that may be where you got it. It's not just the question of nature and nurture. It's nature, nurture, and spirit. Yeah, you can learn bad habits because you're surrounded by people that do them. Yeah, you can learn bad habits because your parents have modeled it for you or maybe it's even birthed into your genes. I don't know. But you can also learn bad habits because your parents had those same bad habits and their sin has been passed down from generation to generation. It's happening. It's happening right before our eyes in this family. By the way, you can also see that play out in the family of Judah in chapter 38. Now, we're going to skip that. But if you want some really crazy reading, folks, take a look at Judah's family. Man, if you think your family is ever just, you know, one of the reasons I like watching cops is because I watch it and I go, man, my life is a lot better than these guys. Uh, things are going pretty good for me. You know, it's kind of a perspective thing. And if you think your family is dysfunctional, uh, read chapter 38 this week. And you'll see what Judah and his kids and their sons and, man, whew, you'll just go, man, my family is so normal. It's so great. So we see here that... Um, uh, Joseph's brothers had planned to kill him, but they decide kind of at the last minute to sell him into slave, slavery. Uh, that way they can make a profit, but they let uh, uh, Joseph's father know, they let Jacob know that, their, that his son, his favorite son, is dead. And it's interesting that all the rest of the children try to console him. They try to console him, and Jacob basically says, nope, I'll never get over this. I will never get over the loss of my son. In fact, I am going to die. I am going to the place of the dead, still mourning the loss of my son. I will never, ever get over it. So uh, we see now that Jacob is, is taken to Egypt, and he is sold into slavery there. By the way, if, if you ever wondered, how did, how did uh, God's people get into Egypt? How did they get into bondage in Egypt? This is how. This is how this sinfulness right here is what got them there. But let's take a look at chapter 39, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to see that God's blessing on Joseph caused him to rise to power even in Egypt. These are not God's people. Uh, this is not the, 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 the Israelite family. 
These are people far from God, and he still rises to power. Look what it says in verses 1 through 4. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down, uh, down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. He was like the number two guy in all of Egypt. He was in charge of everything that he had. God's blessing was on Joseph. And it was obvious to all those around him, folks. Everything he touched kind of turned to gold. Not literally, but just everything he touched was successful. Everything he did, it worked out well. And it didn't only work out well for him, but for those around him. It's like, man, this is a guy we want to be around. Now, now part of that is just God's sovereignty. Okay, God's blessing was on him because God chose to bless him. But in the New Testament, folks, we are supposed to be spiritually transformed by God, and that should be obvious to all those around us. Even those far from God, even those who haven't given their life to Christ yet, they should want to get in on the action. They should want to be blessed, even if they don't know why. I was thinking about some of these kids up here uh, singing these songs and uh, singing about God's wonderful goodness and, and how he should be praised. And They may not even understand what they're singing, but it's still going to bless their lives. Now, in the New Testament, let me just take a little sidetrack for a minute here. In the New Testament, we see that this principle of God's blessing comes from people who give their life to him. It's not always financial. It's not always health. It's not always the way uh, that we want it done. But God's blessing always comes. And it may even be eternal. We don't even see it on this earth. But God's blessing comes to those who've given their lives to him. For those who have seen that they are sinful, for those who have seen that we can't do anything to stop sinning or to erase our sin, but by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, we can have forgiveness of our sins. We can have a relationship with God. We can get into a relationship with him so that we are blessed by him. And folks, when that happens, our life should be a living invitation to others, inviting them to God's blessing. Last week when we were talking about the building, you know, I said the fact that you know, uh, the Bible's pretty clear that, that those outside of the church should know we're Christians. How? By how we love one another. They, they should, we want to invite them to come here. And when they see that we operate as a family, that this is, we call it the Fog Family, Fellowship of Grace, the Fog Family. It doesn't, we don't just say that, we operate like a family. We take care of one another. We love one another. We accept each other. We encourage each other, but we still accept each other. When they see that, our lives should be an invitation to them. Listen, uh, Joseph uh, lived his life in such a way, and God blessed him in such a way that everybody around him wanted to be a, a part of his life. Even those who didn't know God, even those who were far from God. So man, he's got it good. I mean, his life is going great. Even though his brothers did something that they meant for evil, it has blessed Joseph. And now he's basically in charge of Egypt outside of the Pharaoh himself. How could anything go wrong? Well, he's falsely accused of terrible wrongdoing by Potiphar's wife. Let's look at that in verses 6 through 18. It says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, 
And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not even greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and I cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. She told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Here he's falsely accused of basically seducing uh, his, his wife. So Joseph is going about his duties, doing just exactly what he's supposed to do. And, and Potiphar's wife lies about what's happened. She's trying to seduce him. And because he says, no, 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 day after day after day, she finally grabs him by the coat. And he's like, I'm, I'm out of here. He leaves the coat in her hand and just you know, moves his arms, gets out of the coat and takes off. His integrity was too great to give in. Now, I think it's very interesting, his wording in here. In fact, he suggests that this was not just a wickedness to Potiphar. It wasn't just a wickedness to bring shame to his name or to his family's name. He was more concerned about it being a wickedness to God than anything else. He was more concerned about disappointing God than anything else. Now, we would benefit, folks, much more by thinking this way. Now, I will be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. When I come to the Y in the road and I am tempted to do something, I have a tendency to think in terms of, well, if I do this, somebody might catch me. Somebody might see me. Somebody might find out about it. Uh, It might hurt somebody. I think of all the circumstances surrounding it. I think it would benefit us a lot more to get to that Y in the road and go, man, look what God's done for me. This would really disappoint him. That needs to be our first thought. That needs to be the way that our mind and our heart works. I don't want to disappoint God. Not because he's going to, you know, strike me with lightning or do something, you know, goofy. But after what he's done for me, I just want to please him. I just want to please him. And I think it would really help us and benefit us if we would respond that way and think that way a lot more often. And so Joseph is, uh, you know, accused of this terrible crime. He's accused of basically molesting or possibly raping this woman, which he has not done. And so how does Potiphar respond to this? Well, Joseph is thrown into prison, but he rises to the top even there. Look what the Bible says in verses 19 through 23. 
says, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Listen carefully, folks. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Wow. Even after being falsely accused and now falsely imprisoned, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And everything Joseph did, even as a prisoner, was blessed by God. Now, uh, uh, some interesting you know, ups and downs there. I mean, I thought about calling this sermon, I thought about titling this sermon, From Riches to Rags to Riches to Rags to Riches to Rags, to, you know, because it just seems like it goes back and forth with Joseph. But I do want us to see that uh, there wasn't room on the slide for that, so I couldn't name it that. Uh, but I want us to see some things that we could take away from Joseph's life that might help us uh, to live in a better way. Okay, first, he's hated for reasons that are not his own doing. He's hated because his father favors him. Uh, he's hated because his brothers are jealous of him. He's hated by Potiphar because he's, he's accused of something he never did. He's hated for reasons that are not his own doing, but never once do we see him complaining about getting a raw deal. Not once. Now, we are living in a culture, and we are raising a generation of people that complain about everything. And, and I, I think it's important for us to understand that even in the midst of terrible circumstances that are not our own doing, now some of them are our own doing, we just take our medicine, okay? But some of them are not our own doing. I think it would be really good for us to take a lesson here from Joseph and just not complain about it. God's, God's still on the throne. God's still in charge. God still knows what he's doing. He's still got his eye on us. He's still loving us. He's still giving us his steadfast love and he'll bless us if we'll still focus on him. We also see that we don't have any record of Joseph becoming bitter or angry about being undeservedly mistreated. We don't see any of that. It doesn't change his attitude. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't yell. He doesn't throw things. He doesn't have a fit. He just goes about his business and does what he's supposed to do. He remains faithful to God even in the midst of mistreatment. Now, folks, I would love for someday that to be part of my legacy. I would love for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren to say, hey, Papa was faithful to God even in the midst of mistreatment. Even when people did him wrong, even when things didn't happen the way he wanted, even when circumstances out of his control uh, really treated him badly. Man, he just was faithful to God the whole time. We also see that he doesn't self-promote, but he allows God to do the promoting. Now, when we talk about self-promotion, probably all of us have somebody that's popped into our head already, okay? Somebody maybe you work with or you have worked with. Uh, there are people that are just self-promoters. Uh, they just have a way of, of telling everybody how wonderful they are, and, and some people listen, and it benefits them, right? 
But, but we don't see Joseph doing that. He wasn't promoting himself. In fact, the Bible is very clear on this principle. That those who are humble, God promotes. Those who promote themselves, God actively works against. He resists the proud. He resists them. He actively works against the proud, but, he is hum- but, but to those who are humble, he blesses. Joseph's a humble guy. He just does what he's supposed to do without any fanfare, and, and God promotes him. We see that others give him responsibility and authority everywhere he goes because of his integrity. His father does it. Potiphar does it. The jailkeeper does it. His integrity, his willingness to work, his, just his demeanor. He just gets those things, responsibility and authority everywhere he goes. And when it comes to sin, even more important than the consequences for Joseph is his concern about disappointing God. And if there's only one thing that you remember from today's lesson, I want you to walk away and go, man, I, when I come to that place on the road where I'm tempted to do something I know God doesn't want me to do, but I could probably get away with it. What should I do? If, I, if the consequences and all those, those things might be in your mind, but the reality is to say, listen, I just don't want to disappoint God. I, I, I want him to be proud of me after everything he has done for me, after loving me when I was just a complete, and I'm talking about for myself, just a complete idiot and, and, and just wanted my own way the way I wanted it loving me, sending his son to die for me, and then blessing my life. Even, not only the circumstances where others have brought into my life, but the circumstances I've brought into my own life. Loving me and caring for me and blessing me. And I just want to please him because I love him. I think that should be our motivator, folks. I think we should try to get to the place where we uh, don't worry about whether we're going to get caught or not or how bad the circumstances are going to be or what the you know, ramifications are going to be but just to say, hey, I, I just don't want God to be disappointed in me. I, I want to please him. I think that'd be a good place for us to get to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from Joseph. And I pray, Lord, that you would use these lessons from him uh, to motivate us, to give ourselves more completely to you, to really uh, live out, I surrender all. Not just sing it, not just say it, but live it. God, help us all uh, to see how you have blessed our lives, how you have loved us and ministered to us and blessed us in so many ways so that when we come to those whys in the road where we can either give in to temptation or we can resist it, God, help us to be motivated simply by loving you, uh, by wanting to please you, by not wanting to disappoint you. And Father, help us, no matter what circumstances we see ourselves in, no, no matter what befalls us, whether it's just or unjust, God, help us to respond in a way that's pleasing to you. We can't control the people around us. We can't control the circumstances around us many times. But we can control how we react to it. So God, help us to be light to a world that is really dark, to be salt in a world that has lost its flavor and is just a tasteless, yucky place. God, help us as individuals and help us as a church to be a light to this community, that they might see that you are in us that you're blessing us and that they can come and be a part of that if they'll just turn their lives over to you also. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.